0: Soccer Talk Podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online and apps. In episode 126, we discuss news about this weekend's Champions League final coverage, how you can watch the Women's World Cup in 4K, our reaction to the news about MLS and League MX joining forces, plus letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Now, Kartik, um it's been an eventful week uh, since the last podcast. Uh, we went through all of the the games in the Football League in terms of uh, the championship playoff final, League One, League Two playoff finals. Uh, we had uh, U.S. Women's National Team uh, friendly at the weekend. We had the the German Cup. Um, we also had, of course, the Europa League final on Wednesday. We're recording this on Thursday, and uh, and probably, uh, of course, the, the the Mexican Liga mex Clausura uh, uh, final, the two legs of that. So a lot of soccer from this past week, and a lot of variety. Um, was there any game in particular that, that stood out stood out to you as kind of the uh, the, the best one that you saw, the most exciting?
1: Hmm. Um that actually stood out as the best match. I don't know. I mean, I I think probably the most entertaining match was Charlton Sunderland. And and it was partly that way because uh, of the, just the improbable um, own goal that that, uh, Charlton scored inside the first six minutes. And that set up a match that was open from that point forward. Uh, Lee Boyer basically threw caution to the wind. Um, And in the end, they got a late winner, and, and uh, they were pushing, pushing, pushing. That was probably the most entertaining match. I'm not sure what necessarily the best match was. I thought the, uh, the play of Chelsea in the second half of the Europa League final, partly aided by Arsenal's poor defense, but just the symmetry in, in, in the player movements um, yeah. in the attacking end, uh, in particular Hazard, Giroud, Pedro, um, and, and Conte. Um, when Conte pushed forward, which we now know is his position in, in this setup. And how well Jorginho dictated tempo of play, uh, some would argue, as as I've heard last night on the podcast, that Jorginho was brilliant because Mezzadoz was a passenger, right? So essentially he was he was he was playing without opposition. But I thought that was probably the best football I watched all week it was the second half. Chelsea's performance between minutes forty five to 70, you saw the true nature of how Sari's system works and could work um, if he's still there next year.
0: It was interesting watching the Europa League final on TNT because this is the first match all season long in Europa League that we got to see on television. Uh, prior to this, every single game was on BR Live or on the Spanish side on television, of course, but the first English-language Europa League uh, game of the season. And and we had uh, a full suite of uh, pre-match analysis and post-match. And, uh, of course, Kate Abdo hosting, Moadu, Stu uh, Stu Holden, and uh, Carlos Bocanegra. And I thought it was was good to see that level of coverage given to this tournament, uh, especially given that they haven't given it any justice well not justice probably not a good word but but any kind of time or kind of focus throughout the entire season and um i'm wondering about next season whether or not they'll still kind of stick to that same formula of having everything on streaming except for the final to me it's um europa league is not the most watched tournament by any means i mean when, when it was on fox it averaged during the, the group stages and league um, at, as the tournament went along, usually between 50 and 100,000 uh, viewers. Um, but I wish that, that TNT had given it more of a focus, that they had shown some of these games on television, especially the semi finals. And that way, the hype and, and kind of uh, suspense can build to that final. With this one, it seemed to be. There wasn't as much hype about this Europa League final as there were in maybe in previous seasons when we had, say, Liverpool or Sevilla or other teams. Uh, did you get a chance to watch uh, any of the pre-game or post-match coverage, Kartik?
1: Yeah, I mean, I watched it uh, somewhat. Um Not not that attentively is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Yeah, I thought that the intro into the the pregame was quite good. And I thought, oh, maybe it's going to be a different setup. It looks like they've upped their game for a final. But then it it became the same kind of setup. They were all in Atlanta. It wasn't bad. Um, And and I actually felt like a lot of the points made it at uh, halftime, in their brief halftime, and then postgame. Uh, particularly by Moa Willest, and I want to I want to single him out too because he did some work for Fox this week um, as well. Uh, have gotten better and better as the season went on. And I think he, he's, he's seeing the, ma- the, the game conceptually a little differently than he did. And this is what happens, even if you're a former player. When you become a broadcaster, you begin to see things a little differently and player movements and shape and, and, and things on the pitch that maybe you're observing from a different vantage point. I thought he had a really good match, by the yeah. way. He called the uh, uh, Ukraine-U.S. match with Keith Costigan. Uh, U, yeah, U20. U, uh, FIFA U-20 match on, on Friday. I thought they were outstanding. Uh, really good duo. Costigan is one of the best in the business. We know that. But uh, he, he elevated his level. And then we saw Adu continue that, I thought, on Wednesday. I thought, I thought actually he was... Uh, he gave... Um, we, we singled out Stu Holden for praise most of the season as TNT's best contributor. I thought Adu actually made more poignant uh, cognizant points yesterday on that broadcast.
0: I agree. I, I would say he's the most improved on that on that cast of characters from uh, Turner Sports uh, from when he started, and he was a little bit uh, uncomfortable uh, on, on camera presence. Uh, now, he's, he's definitely... Him and Stu work together really well in terms of their tactical uh, discussion back and forth, and uh, Carlos Bocanegra, I thought, was pretty good. He's still very stiff on, on television, and uh, I wish... Tim Howard was there, but obviously with uh, Colorado Rapids playing, uh, I believe midweek in in you know last season, so he wasn't available. I give Boca
1: Negra credit also as a former Fulham player for not being uh, overtly biased against Chelsea. You know that that's a, that's always a concern. And uh, Brian McBride is actually in. The ESPN FC studio this week, and he's fantastic. His his analysis is is um, for those of you who haven't watched him since he left Fox. It's a completely different guy in terms of yeah. analysis. But he um um he too was is, is very straight when it comes to Chelsea. You know, I wonder sometimes about that Fulham Chelsea rivalry because it was a very one one sided rivalry. Um, But yeah, but very professional performance from Bocanegra.
0: The match itself, the Arsenal-Chelsea match, uh, we had the pleasure or displeasure, depending on on how you look at it, of having David Pleat as the co-commentator for this match, and especially with David Pleat, uh, I mean, his connections to Tottenham Hotspur, uh, but but this was something that um, you either love David Pleat or you don't like him. Uh, Most people, I think, for the most part, uh, grow tired of him. Because uh, he he talks too much, he, he he kind of just talk, he rambles a lot, and uh, but in this particular game, I thought he was better than usual, not as bad as he has been in some games, uh, but uh, that that was always a, that was a surprise actually. I wasn't expecting to have David Pleat doing co commentary for a final just because we haven't heard him that much this season.
1: Yeah, I, w- I was actually pleasantly surprised. I didn't expect to hear him. And um, I-, I have to admit this, Chris, I'm someone who had grown tired of him when he was consistently doing Premier League matches and um, and uh, FA Cup, League Cup matches. And um, yesterday I enjoyed him because um, I guess I hadn't heard him in a while. And he was – the first half was so monotonous to get through. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was giving a lot of um, important analysis yes. And then what we saw in the second half was um, uh, a lot described itself, and a lot of what he had set up in the first half about the the, the gaps in Chelsea's defense, which were then um, uh, 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 plugged. Uh, partly, I think, because Rudiger was out and Louise hadn't paired with Christensen very much. Um, that 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 was a, a great observation. And then, um, uh, obviously, I, I think the most obvious, the most striking thing about the second half, and I, I don't. It's the whole season has been bashed at Ozil, right? So I don't, I don't want to get too deep into that. But Jorginho had some – and this is why you can see again Sarri is coming for a lot of criticism about his obsession with playing Jorginho in the middle of the park, right? But you can see how good Jorginho is uh, if he has t- the time and space uh, to dictate tempo of a match. Um, uh, he was a maestro for about 25 minutes to start the second half. Uh, everything he did was nearly perfect and set up Chelsea, uh, Chelsea's attacking players um, and the interplay that came from that. But again, I, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that Ozil was the player responsible for marking him and just didn't.
0: So uh, speaking of UEFA competitions and, uh, of course, we got the Champions League final coming up this weekend, one thing I noticed this past weekend was watching the second leg of the uh, Liga MX Clausura uh, final between Lyon and Tigres was um, how many times they were advertising the Champions League final during this game. So any time was, there was a, um, a replay clip shown, you know, either a, a missed opportunity or a foul, whatever it may be, um, Univision Deportes was using a graphic on screen to promote the Champions League. So, in a typical match of ninety minutes, you might have I don't know, maybe fifty to sixty times a replay uh, shown during the match itself. Um, every single one of them was Champions League final, Liverpool against Spurs, uh, live on Univision and Univision Deportes network. That was impressive. The game, the game itself, the Leon uh, Tigres game, the second leg, I thought was pretty dour. It was a nil-nil tie and uh tigris went through well, actually won the competition on aggregate yeah. uh, 1-0 but um the game itself wasn't uh as appealing as i expected now, um, so, so like, like you, Cartig, I watched the Charlton Sunderland game. Just the last gasp winner for Athletic there, right at the very, very end. Uh, we have to talk about Aston Villa against Derby County. Uh, this match, I, I didn't pick up who was the commentator on this one. I'm not sure if you know, but it sounded like it was either Simon Brotherton or Guy Mowbray. And both of them sound so close to each other. Sometimes it's very difficult to tell the difference between the two. Uh, Stuart Robson is a co-commentator. Of course, uh, he's pretty distinctive. But then again, though, too, with Stuart Robson, he sounds identical to Tony DiRigo. So if if I don't catch the name, uh, oftentimes I have to listen intently to figure out, okay, is that Stuart Robson or is that Tony DiRigo? Same thing with uh, Simon Brotherton or, or Guy Mowbray. But um, oh, but the match is, I didn't,
1: Yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't think about it being Guy Mowbray. I assumed it was Simon Brotherton.
0: Simon's more soft-spoken. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later in the listener mailbag about kind of uh, the uh, the the crowd levels, the noise levels, the audio levels. Um, Simon's more soft-spoken guys, more a little bit more boisterous, a little bit more louder. Um, but I couldn't, I, I didn't pick up the names, and I'm not sure if they actually they probably announced it at the very beginning of the game, but I missed That's the it. Very beginning. The game itself was. Uh, kind of really a tale of two two cities so in in many ways the style of plays i mean derby county uh not the most um attractive style of play aston villa i thought deserved to win this match uh overall uh definitely uh, i think worthy winners there but uh could you take anything away from this game any any observations or any key insights uh, either on the production side or on the game itself
1: well, in the game itself, I think Frank Lampard's done a tremendous job with Darby. He's inherited a team, a bloated team, an expensive team that, that he didn't pick. Um, one of the things that became apparent during the playoffs, though, was juggling a, a squad with 22, 24 guys that could play regularly is very difficult, and I, I'm not sure he ever got his team sheet right. Um, made critical substitutions. Um, that, uh, that, that that kept them in these matches, got them through the Leeds match, uh, Leeds tie. But um, that's, that's what I would take from the game. From the broadcast, I thought it was quite good that ESPN Plus, with all, all the finals and um, uh, the, Charlton, uh, well, the Charlton final was decided at the last minute, the Newport Tranmere final was decided at the last minute. I think with all of those finals, um, they did a very good job of sticking through uh, to the end with the trophy presentation, et cetera. Um, and it, it just felt and I know um, Fox Soccer Channel used to show all these finals uh, back in the day. Uh, the necessarily, VN didn't necessarily do that. They only showed the championship final at least. Yeah. But it seemed like it was more accessible. Um, this year, I, I, I knew what time the matches were on. I was actually sick in bed all weekend. So it was very convenient. Watched all three of the finals. Uh, and then have to mention, there was some controversy in the Newport match where uh, there was a penalty, um, a foul in the area. Newport would have had a penalty kick near the end of the end, uh, of regular time. But then uh, um, the player who was fouled had, had, had played the ball already. Uh, and the player he was playing the ball to was deemed in an offside position, and legally under the rules, that is the correct call, no penalty. But uh, very, very close. Anyway, um, I, I thought it was really accessible uh, watching these matches on ESPN Plus. You know where to find them. Uh, it's it's pretty simple. Uh, you can watch it on any device. You know, your i even on your iPad, iPhone, Android phone, whatever you have. So I, I was happy with. Uh, with the with the level of um, with the le- with the level that they showed, now it's still a little tough for this playoff final being on o- OTT because I think, especially when you have a club like Aston Villa and let's say you know Vielsa staying at Leeds, let's say somehow Leeds is in this final next year. They don't finish in the top two; uh, they finish somewhere three to six, and they make the final. Um, there is a possibility of a decent ratings. Um, uh, Bonanza, particularly on a Monday, on Memorial Day. It always falls on this Monday. Yep. Um, so I, I think that this is one match a year, and then obviously the FA Cup Final and the League Cup Final at ESPN, I, I know they're trying to sell ESPN Plus subscriptions, create critical mass for that for that product. And we're going to talk a little more about uh, another acquisition for that product, uh, the one you reported a few months ago, but but one that's now official, um, in a little bit. But uh, I still think this match, this particular match, the first two, great, on ESPN+. Plus. This particular match should have been on television, um, even if they stick it on ESPN News. And same thing with the FA Cup Final, same thing with the League Cup Final. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I also see ESPN's side of, the, of it, too. So if they say, okay, you, you know what, for the championship, uh, all the games are going to be on ESPN+, Plus and we'll have the championship playoff final on ESPN News, or so whatever, cha- whatever channel it may be. It, in some ways, that would uh, limit the number of subscribers to the ESPN Plus service because you, you, the hardcore fans, the fans of Leeds United and uh, Charlton Athletic and you mean, Millwall and all these different clubs from the championship will go ahead and sign up for ESPN Plus so to access I mean, the one or two or three times a, a month that they can watch their team on ESPN Plus. But for the casual fan, the, the fan who's a, a fan of soccer, uh, may not have a club in the championship and the only game that matters to them really uh, in the championship is that pl- championship playoff final um, they will probably watch it on television but if it, if it is on ESPN Plus only and they stick to that that casual fan might say you know what let, let me go ahead and sign up for ESPN Plus instead of uh, you mean missing out on Leeds United against Swansea City in the championship playoff final next year? I can dream. Um, let, let, let's go ahead and actually sign up for ESPN Plus and, and subscribe to that. And then, and then they're hooked because once you have ESPN Plus, which has got to be the best, most affordable streaming service ever available to sports fans in the United States with all the – all the just the soccer content alone, all the, all the games and, and leagues and competitions you get access to, I think they're hooked. So I see that as more of um, ESPN sticking to the guns, saying, okay, hey, we believe 100% in ESPN+, and we believe that everyone should subscribe to ESPN+, who is a sports fan, because you're going to have access to all this great content. I, I see where you're coming from, Kartik, and, and definitely, um, say, Elite United, Elite United against anyone in a, in a playoff final would be big numbers. Those would be probably, on television, I'd say roughly about 100,000 people uh, for... I uh, mean it, for a club that's in the championship that's hasn't been on television much lately 100,000 is is pretty darn impressive for for a club like that it could even be greater depending on who they're playing against uh I see your point but I, I don't see ESPN changing their strategy I mean they're they're committed 100% to ESPN plus they believe in it and um I don't see them changing now, speaking of ESPN, uh, just one more game to talk about, and that's the uh, the German uh, Cup final between RB Leipzig and Bayern Munich uh, from this past weekend. Uh, Karthik, like you, I, I, I catched, caught this match, and uh, Adrian Healy and Casey Keller doing the commentary on this one. Um, it was great to hear Adrian Healy. It's been a while since we've had a chance to, to listen, listen to him uh, commentating a game on television.
1: Yeah, uh, he... <coughs> Excuse me. He t- typically does the Thursday ESPN FC show uh, the day Dan Thomas takes off and the day that uh, uh, Craig Burley takes off. So it's usually him and Paul Mariner or the or the fill-ins those days. And, and I watch that show regularly. So I haven't missed him as much. As everyone else, but I have missed him on commentary, and I noticed that within uh, the first few minutes of this match, Casey Keller, as usual, very uh, very good, obviously he had played in the Bundesliga uh, Casey Keller has played everywhere, it seems like, and uh, for Much- but he played for Muuchchen Gladbach, and that was really maybe his best years were at Muchen Gladbach um, Unfortunately, you know I- I- Leipzig had had played pretty well in in the match a few weeks earlier in the in the league against Munich and had played fairly well the second half of the season until the last few uh, match days, but this was no contest. Yeah, And um, I, I was all excited through the course of last week about a potential title race next season. Julian Brandt goes to, to Dortmund. They didn't waste any time spending the money they got from Pulisic. Uh, Thorgan Hazard uh, goes to, to Dortmund. Now, it just reminded me um, how good Bayern is on their day. We know they're going to get several players this summer. Uh, uh, Lucas Hernandez, uh, uh, Benjamin Pavard, uh, potentially uh, Leroy Sané. Uh, just reminded me that match, how how, how uh, on their day, how high that standard is and how tough it will be for Dortmund to catch him, even with some really, I mean, Julian Brandt in particular, really good signings.
0: Yeah same same here Karthik it, it reminded me also of the uh the Bayern Frankfurt game on the final day of the season it just uh, i mean high hopes going into the game thinking okay for the, the for the for the Pokal Cup final that uh, maybe RB Leipzig could have a chance to win this one but um maybe in in the last 20 minutes of the game in both the Frankfurt game and in this game against uh, RB Leipzig it just looked you I mean a one way street Bayern Munich was definitely t- in total control and it looked, it looked unfortunate because it was like, oh, here we go again. Bayern Munich just kind of really monopolizing and just really in control. I'd love to see a contender like, like a Dortmund or somebody else also, a strong contender that's going to push them to, right to the wire to make it more exciting, to have those viewers hang on until the, the last minutes of the game thinking, okay, there's a, there's a chance here. We did not see it, unfortunately. All right, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news, Kartik.
1: Yeah, and uh, I'll kick it off talking about the Champions League final, which everyone's excited about. BR Football Match Day will preview the final with a special 90 minute show live from the Wanda uh, Stadium in Madrid at 1:30 p.m. Eastern time uh turner's pre-match coverage will incorporate both a pitch view studio and on-field location with host kate abdo analyst Stu holden steve nash and moa providing the latest analysis and uh and news leading up to the final and of course uh the opening ceremonies which uh by the way chris in the past have been derided by a lot of the audience that they have to sit through that they've had to sit through it on fox you're gonna have to sit through it on turner (laughs) meanwhile uh um, NBA rookie Trey Young of the Atlanta Hawks, uh, played for Oklahoma last year in college basketball, is expected to join the pre-match show along with reporter Fernando Perez in Madrid. Univision, who's got the Spanish side of this, has added former Champions League winner Carlos Puyol and Javier Zanetti. That should be exciting to its broadcast team as guest analysts and commentators during the match. Jorge Ramos is making the trip. Uh, to Madrid to participate in the pre-match show. That's really cool. Um, also, want to mention ESPN FC on-site uh, with their uh, studio program uh, in uh, in Madrid. Uh, it's uh, Dan Thomas, uh, uh, Dan Thomas, Stuart Robson, and Gab Marcotti, uh, Craig Burley, and uh, Steve Nichol, I believe will join them beginning on Thursday.
0: So, in in Turner's defence, I mean, this is this is a strong uh, outing in the very first season of the UEFA Champions League. Uh, in previous years, when Fox had the rights, um, sometimes they would have a studio set at Wembley Stadium for for a game. Uh, Often times, it would just be the two commentators, usually John Strong and Stu Holden, or John Strong and, and you mean know, somebody else, Warren Barton, sometimes. Uh, just the two commentators at the stadium, but here, here we have. I mean, the entire cast: Stu Holden, Steve Nash, Morris Maduro, and Kate Abdo, uh, going to be there uh, in the actual stadium, uh, and then using the actual, probably the world feed for for the commentators. So, so that that's positive. That they're showing intent. They're showing that uh, you mean that they're committed to this. Uh, they're not slashing budget, budgets by any means, and um, they're 100% focused on that. And, and then the same thing for Univision, too, with um, some big names. So, so that's that's promising. Hopefully it'll be uh, a better first half than it was in the Europa League final. Uh, I, I imagine it will be, but uh, it should be an interesting match, uh, no doubt. Next up in the news, uh, we talked about this in last week's podcast, and I said to listeners, hold on. Any day now we're expecting an uh, an official announcement from ESPN. A lot of nervous soccer fans out there uh, talking about the news that we had uh, reported two months ago, actually over two months ago, that ESPN Plus had acquired the rights to Copa America, uh, both the English language side and the Portuguese language side, uh, but nothing official had, had been announced Well, that news now is official. That was announced earlier this week. All 26 matches to be streamed live on ESPN Plus, and also ESPN Plus will carry the matches in Portuguese. So, um, big level of commitment there. And if you're a fan of uh, South American football, um, some of the best uh, footballers in the world, you mean you've got access to it now if you have ESPN Plus. Another added benefit, and uh, another reason why that ESPN Plus is such a bargain to have. Um, so going back to what you said before, Kartik, in the last uh, segment and, and, and related, relating to this too, the only thing that we're missing is really that pre-match, halftime and post-match analysis. Uh, we didn't get it with any of the, the championship um, or football league uh, playoff matches. Uh, to me, it's like you know, when, it, when we reach halftime, it's, it's a bathroom break and come back and, and watch the game. I don't feel like I'm missing out on a tonne. Uh, of things, I mean, I, I'm not feeling that I'm like getting uh, shortchanged um, in any of this. But it will be interesting to see if ES- ESPN does have some studio analysis for at, at least for Copa America. Uh, you would imagine for the final, but maybe not. Maybe they're just, just keeping budgets uh, tight and acquiring the rights and focusing the the, the the money spent on on the rights acquisition using the world feeds. And then just streaming it, uh, just to make sure that the uh, you know, the price stays at at at, at four ninety nine a month.
1: Yeah, I, I do know uh, that they've done a lot of bumper programming around the UEFA Nations League. Now, I don't know if that's a um, a, a mandatory uh, clause in their contract, right? Um, They've even done Chris uh, ESPN FC uh, Nations League specials that have been forced to, that they've had to air on ESPN Two. That uh, the only so let's say you uh, you set your program guide to tape ESPN FC on television like I had mm-hmm. before they moved it to ESPN Plus. Every um, match day for Nations League, there'll be four or five ESPN FCs, four or five days of ESPN FC that magically tape that are on ESPN Two or ESPN News, and it's because they have. Um, Uh, contractually obligated I assume contractually obligated Nations League coverage where the entire ESPN FC show it's a usual crew it's Dan Thomas it's Alejandro Moreno it's um it's uh uh, Steve Nickel etc Craig Burley but they're talking about Nations League exclusively I don't know if Kam the ball has put in something similar but ESPN has the bandwidth to do it as we saw with Nations League if it's required um so uh, perhaps and, – and this would be an opportunity for them to maybe showcase some of the other, other talent they have on display. They also, by the way, will have the Nations League um, semifinals and finals, and I assume you will have similar uh, studio shows around it like they did um, – during the, uh, the, the the group stage,
0: yeah, and, and some of those will be on television. So I think the uh, the, the Netherlands England game is just coming up uh, in about a week or so. Just uh, I think June sixth, I think it is, uh, is on ESPN two. So I, w- I would imagine that there will be um, probably a small studio presence there. Uh, but there's uh, some other big games too coming up in the UEFA uh, the Nations League. So I'm, I'm sure that uh, some of those some of those will have studio coverage. All right, Karthik, uh, this is here's the the next news item. This one's, this one's a big one.
1: Yeah, so um, all of the Women's World Cup will be available in 4K via Fubo TV. The 4K streams will be Fox's English language coverage of the tournament. So uh, if you don't have Fubo more, excuse me, more incentive to get uh, Fubo, uh, just a huge new uh, news. This is the first time Americans will be able to watch every single FIFA World Cup match in 4K streaming online. Um, It's amazing how this thing has moved in a year. So a year ago, we had the Men's World Cup in Russia. And I think there were a couple of experimental 4K matches, and there were a couple of matches in VR. I watched a couple of matches in VR actually during that tournament, um, including England Columbia. Uh, the, uh, the, the VR thing seems to have faded. I've noticed that even with, uh, uh, with the NBA and NHL, from what I'm, I've been told. So now 4K is the big thing.
0: Yeah, and so you need a 4K television, and you need a subscription to Fubo TV, and then Fubo TV. Um, In FUBA TV, there's an option for each of the games in the Women's World Cup where there'll be a 4K stream of that. So you can just select that. So, yeah, that's great news for uh, fans of uh, soccer, but also fans of the Women's World Cup. I mean, that's going to be some great, uh, hopefully some great uh, viewing there, too, in terms of the quality levels. So last but not least, um, some news that came out on Wednesday. This is about... uh, a cup tournament that uh, we've talked about in the past before where we've hinted that we, we, this was going to be coming, it's been official, which is a partnership between Major League Soccer and Liga MX. What they've done is they've announced the creation of Leagues Cup. So it's an annual competition between the two top soccer leagues in North America to be played starting this July. So the uh, the 2019 edition of the Leagues Cup will feature four clubs from each Uh, League in an eight team single elimination tournament that launches with quarterfinals on July 23rd and 24th at the stadiums of the MLS clubs. So, the MLS clubs that are competing in this one are Chicago Fire, Houston Dynamo, LA Galaxy, Real Salt Lake. Uh, Liga MX clubs are Club America, Cruz Azul, uh, Tigres, and uh, Club Tijuana. So, Kartik, what was your initial reaction to this? Um, I know on, on social media, I don't think anyone was, was kind of uh, excited about this. Almost every single comment I saw from people, even fat, you know, even writers of, of MLS who were very pro-MLS was very negative about this news. What, what was your take?
1: Well, I enjoyed the Super League of Tournament, which uh, we have so many new soccer fans since 2010. They don't remember that tournament. I actually enjoyed that tournament, um, particularly uh, the timing of it. Uh, now, now, um, because they've stretched this tournament out, um, and and I may only enjoy the quarterfinal stage. Uh, what the Superliga was is they had a group stage in July, then they would have a final, uh, semifinal, and final uh, late in, in August or late July. Um, this is this tournament's more stretched out. I. Um, I, I do understand it's a it's a cash grab by some, and I think it's just more fixtures. It, it, it's it's being done uh, to make money. Concacaf sanctioning uh, and very prominently sanctioning and, and, and praising a tournament that uh, essentially undercuts its own Champions League by taking um, two of the, its two top leagues. Would UEFA sanction uh, an Anglo uh, Deutsch Cup? Well, what, would, what would their thoughts be about that? If uh, four Premier League teams played four Bundesliga teams uh, in the middle of their seasons, right. uh, I, I don't know that it would go over real big. I mean, we see how the Super League is going over there. But here, this sort of thing is just uh, the way business is done. Um, I'm not excited about it. I know it's a cash grab. I know it's another uh, place where some and MLS are circumventing the established rules. Of this sport, it's another place where they're showing their control over Concacaf because Sum is also the marketing partner for Concacaf, as well as for obviously Liga MX in, in the United States and and, and Major League Soccer. Uh, they're part of Major League Soccer. They're owned by Major League Soccer. Um, however, the matches I'll probably watch. I'll be honest with you. So well, that's, um,
0: well, that's that's the big question, Karthik, because there's a big announcement this week, but no news about uh, television or streaming rights to this tournament. So if you are going to watch it, uh, some, some has to do the deal soon. Uh, it'll be interesting to see which networks uh, are interested in this because from the TV viewing experience, um, on the Anglo side, the English, le- English language speaking side, I don't think there's going to be that much interest. Now, on the Spanish language side, I can see uh, uh, large amounts of interest. So whether it's Univision or Telemundo, um, I can see them being interested in this in terms of how this aligns with their strategy Maybe Univision might be the best bet, especially after losing uh, the World Cup and looking for more rights to pick up. But that was that was glaring that there was no announcement at the time of the announcement of the the actual tournament itself about the, the TV rights. Uh, but but looking at this, I mean, you, you mentioned it, it's a cash grab, Kartik, and, and and it really is. I mean, it's it's very transparent in terms of even the cities that they they picked for the MLS teams are heavily uh, Mexican American or Mex- Mexican population. Mm-hmm. So you've got Chicago, Houston, Los Angeles, which are three of the biggest uh, cities in the United States with uh, Mexican American. Uh, populations and then Real Salt Lake, which has a large catchment area there too. So, so what Major League Soccer is going for is really ways to boost the, the sum revenue, which has uh, which has dipped quite a quite a lot in terms of um, the U.S. men's national team crashing out of the World Cup qualifying. They're looking for ways to I mean, increase
1: revenue. And quite frankly, Champions, International Champions Cup, taking those teams out of their their purview. Uh, yeah. Some used to have a deal with Barcelona. They had a deal with Manchester United. They don't anymore. Chivas, who they were the marketing partner for in this country for, for a decade, some was. Every every Chivas friendly in the U.S. was some. Chivas, I believe, is playing a match at the Champions Cup either the same day or the day after Uh one of these quarterfinal matches. So that's, a, that's another significant talking point. Uh, the other talking point is this is not a Champions League-like thing. When I said I liked Superliga, they tended to pick good MLS teams and good Mexican teams for that competition. Uh, Pachuca, who was the dominant team at that stage in Mexican football, was in it um, every season. Uh, the Chicago Fire being in this tournament, they would never qualify for anything on their own based on league form, based on performance. So, uh, yeah, that alone uh, kind of shows you it's just a cash grab.
0: Right, and cash grab for tickets, really. And uh, especially with the Liga MX clubs, I mean, Club America, Cruz Azul, Tigres, uh, Club Tijuana, uh, these are mostly clubs with large fan bases that uh, you will have dedicated fans of those clubs that will go see them. We'll, we'll, we'll travel hundreds of miles sometimes to go see, see these t- uh, teams play, or their team play, uh, pay whatever ticket price is. I mean, wh- whatever it is, they will pay that. And then the television side... Um, I see on the Spanish language side being strong, and I see fans of Club America tuning in to seeing them beat I don't know, LA Galaxy or whoever, whoever it is. I just don't see much of an interest or much of a uh, much of an appeal really to the English language side in, in terms of um, you mean Anglo English speaking Americans that want to see their MLS teams lose by three or four nothing but in the some of only- these games.
1: The only uh, on-the-field utility to this tournament would be Tigres has had such a, such hard luck in the CONCACAF Champions League. They've won um, uh, Mexican titles, uh, in another one the other day, as you mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, this is an opportunity for them to add, I guess, ostensibly a continental trophy. Uh, they've been close. They've been, uh, to me, the, the best team to watch in Mexico, them and Monter- Monterrey, the last several years. Uh, they, they are playing uh, – they, they might get through this competition uh, without playing – Another Mexican club, right? Theoretically, they could play all MLS teams and, and, and win it. So, uh, from a Tigress standpoint, maybe this is something to be excited about because it's another trophy you can win.
0: Yeah, it seems like the only winner in this one really is some. And, and, and that's it. I mean, and that's the way, that's the reason they're setting up this tournament, is just to increase the cash flow. All right, let's move on to TV ratings. Uh, we've got four numbers that are pretty interesting in many different ways. Four very different uh, games. The first one is the, so the Liga Max uh, Klausura final uh, over the two legs, so the, the Thursday night game and, and the Sunday night game. It delivered um, 3.7 million viewers on Univision and Univision Deportes. Uh, that's combined. Um, the average for um, these games, these two games, is 1.9 million viewers. Uh, again, I mean, and this is not Club America against Chivas. This is Leon against Tigres and uh, more big numbers there for Liga, Liga Max. Then you had the U.S. women's national team against Mexico in their uh, send-off series, uh, friendly uh, on ESPN. Uh, this one had 615,000 viewers. So uh, definitely a lot of people tuning in and interested in the U.S. women's national team before they move on to uh, the Women's World Cup. Uh, Major League Soccer, uh, Sporting Kansas City against Seattle on FS1 on Sunday night, uh, 182,000 viewers. And then, last but not least, RB Leipzig against Bayern Munich on ESPN News, uh, the DFL Pokal uh, Cup final, and this one had 79,000 viewers. That's that's the thing, though, Karthik. About Bayern Munich is that uh, oftentimes, I mean, if you're on social media, in terms of the, I mean, Bayern Munich in the United States, the office in, in New York, are always touting the, the number of uh, Bayern Munich fan clubs that they have. I mean, I think it's more than any other club in the United States in terms of just kind of the grassroots support for this club. I mean, just historically, just the number of uh, Bayern Munich fans in the United States. But then you always look at the TV numbers and go, ah, so th- there's definitely a huge difference between the two. And, and, and Any thoughts about why the TV numbers are, are consistent, consistently Underwhelming, um, and, but but yet the fan base is supposed to be really high. Which which, which number is uh, is valid, or what what happens in between those two numbers?
1: Yeah, I just don't think that there are that many Bundesliga fans in the country. It's it's growing the Bundesliga fans, and I'm a I'm a big. I watch that league. People listen to this podcast know how often I watch that league. Yep. Uh, there just aren't that many fans. I I got all kinds of hell on Twitter about a year and a half ago when I said there were more West Ham fans in the U.S. than. Um, than Byron fans and it was just uh, it, it was one of the worst days for me on, I mean I've had a lot of bad days on <laughs> that was one of the worst days and then uh, our friend Jonathan Starling who used to uh, co-host this show in many intera- iterations ago called me and said you know you really could have substituted Fulham and you would have been accurate and Fulham was still in the championship at the time mm-hmm. so I, I think sometimes fans of German football and, and I don't know that Jonathan's right that there more Fulham fans than Byron fans but there might be in the US uh, I don't I don't. I think fans of German football, particularly Bayern, tend to over-exaggerate over, um, over exaggerate and have a diluted sense of how popular their club is in this country relative to the top Premier League clubs, relative to, to Barcelona, Real Madrid. Um, even, I think, the top Italian clubs, or the three big Northern Italian clubs, probably have uh, similar support as Bayern. And then, again, I'm going to say, I think Everton... Uh, uh, Okay, so the top six Premier League clubs, maybe not Man City, but the other five, and I include Spurs and that, more support than Bayern. Uh, I think West Ham, Everton... Uh, yeah, maybe just West Ham and Everton for sure have more uh, support in the US um, among other Premier League clubs. Although, you know, I'm finding Wolves fans now. I'm finding uh, Watford fans now. It's uh, the power of NBC and the power of that league and and the common language. Bundesliga is doing a better job communicating Um, and I think you're seeing a growth in fan bases for uh, particularly uh, um, Borussia Dortmund and Eintracht Frankfurt uh, in this country uh, because of the the um, atmospheres around those grounds, but I just don't think there are that many Bundesliga fans, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and, and the ratings show us that.
0: Right, and, and and the challenge is there's only so many leagues and so only so many clubs that we can follow uh, that we can watch. I mean, we're, we're all busy. We have our day jobs, and we have you mean, we, have, we have our jobs and we have our families or our, our life. So um, as much as we love to watch soccer, we have to make well, not sacrifices, but we have to make choices in terms of which club do I support. OK, so maybe I'm interested in, in Serie A also. Is there a favourite club that I have there? Even in the Premier League, is, is do I have a second favourite club? Do I have a club that I kind of always in, enjoy watching? Wolverhampton Wanderers would be, would be it this season and last season too in the Championship. So I uh, you mean, you have your, maybe you have your local MLS club, maybe you have uh, a Liga MX club that you look at, or maybe you have a, you mean, a Bundesliga club or your S- St. Pauli or whoever it may be. Um, it's it's not easy for the Bundesliga, but I do feel that uh, I agree with you, Kartik, that there's a inflated uh, sense of uh, even kind of uh, fandom for Bayern Munich in the United States. Yes, there's a there's a hardcore, strong base there. Um, but their are challenges to grow that base. And, and I kind of see, looking at the TV ratings, I don't see much of an interest outside of that hardcore audience. All right, moving on to Listener Mailbag. Uh, JP says, I have, I have to disagree with Christopher and La Liga's best-case scenario being multiple networks. It would make finding matches confusing and likely dampen viewership versus going with one network. Imagine having to figure out whether the match you want to see is streaming cable or over the air. For every single match and which service for each. And, I, and I'll pause there for a second, JP. That's exactly what Major League Soccer is. You mean, Major League Soccer going into every weekend, uh, unless you're looking ahead at the TV schedule or the streaming schedule, uh, you mean, you have no idea if your club's going to be on streaming, TV, or, or, or which, which channel.
1: Let me jump in there uh, for a minute, Chris, and I realize this because I get I'm getting accused now by people saying you're not watching much MLS, which is true. Um, 2015 and 2016, I watched more MLS than I wanted to. I did a lot of it out of obligation, but but I knew what the games were on because those were the two seasons after the start of the new contract where uh, ESPN and FS1 had essentially picked Sunday nights. And sometimes they flipped um, five and seven, which one was on which network. But you knew when the games, the nationally televised games, were going to be played. You don't anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, if I happen to know an MLS game it matches on and I'm available, I watch it. But generally, I don't now. So that's a very, very valid point.
0: So JP continues. He says uh, the only way it could work is if, is if the deal, um, uh, if the deal had something like where there were all pre. Pre-noon matches are on streaming, afternoon over the air, and then um, after 2 p.m. on cable, along those lines. It only works if the cable or over-the-air or streaming are provided by the same distributor like NBC and Fox do. Otherwise, it becomes just a mess. Uh, Please note that idea, which again, again, GP, goes back to what Major League Soccer is now. It also goes back to what the Premier League was before um, NBC had the rights, when it was shared between Fox Sports uh, ESPN, and Satanta. So you would had three different um, broadcasters, uh, each of which had different streaming uh, providers, each of, w- each of which had uh, different games that they were showing. Yes, it was confusing at times. I mean, you really had to look at the schedules to figure out, OK, which game is going to be on which channel or which streaming device. Um, but that's, that's the way it operated ideally for me personally i'd love to have one uh, network that provides the english language and spanish like la- uh, spanish language and the streaming for la liga but i don't see that th- that there is one network that has all of that where they're strong on both the english side and the spanish side uh, which is why i said that i mean univision maybe on on the spanish side and then maybe espn on the english language side and then espn plus for for the streaming And then he says, uh, regarding being in sports, you both seem pessimistic on their chances of keeping La Liga and in turn remaining a viable network. This saddens me as they're honestly... Uh, One of my most watched networks. Do you think it's possible they can be purchased and rebranded by another media company that has more clout to demand carriage? Maybe Turner wants a dedicated channel for sports rather than using TNT and they buy BN Sports. Instant uh, increase in carriage adds the UEFA Champions League to their existing soccer coverage. And then NBA, which at night is non-conflicting being part of that network would look very good for La Liga. If they fix BR Live, it would be the best of all worlds. So, JP, ideally, yeah, that'd be great. That that would be good news. Uh, I don't see it happening for two reasons. Um, One is that uh, the company that owns TNT, uh, Atuna Sports, was recently acquired, and they are already going through and looking at ways, um, Time Warner, looking at ways to... Downsize, So they've laid off a lot of executives. Um, they're looking at more consolidation. They're looking at HBO changing that around. Um, they're looking at ways to maximize revenue, but by but, but with all these overlaps between, say, TNT uh, and HBO and, and True TV and other channels where there's just uh, excess um, uh, employees, they're looking for ways to, to cut costs. So I, I don't see them... Um, Acquiring BN Sports, uh, the other thing, too, is that, um, I don't know, I, think, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, uh, BN Sports, uh, before it became BN Sports, was known as the Al Jazeera network. So when the announcement was made that um, the, the rights to the La Liga and Serie A had been acquired at that time in the United States, at that time when the announcement was made, which actually I think World Soccer Talk uh, broke the news, is that uh, it was Al Jazeera. And there was, if you remember, there was an Al Jazeera news network. Well, probably, what, three years ago or so, three or four years ago, that shut down. So, yeah. the, so there's there's nothing stopping being sports saying, you know what, we've given it a good go in the United States. uh for a lot of political reasons, really, it's nothing about nothing that they've done in terms of the coverage, but a lot of political reasons and mistakes that they've made along the way. They might say, you know what, we've given it a good go and we're just going to go ahead. And, and once we lose our legal rights is shut down the network and 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 just say, hey, we tried. It didn't work out that that's my take on, on I think how things will play out. Jazzino says uh, Univision Deportes was created initially to obtain La Liga rights from DirecTV to complement Liga MX. It made sense then, and it still does now. Some may complain about ESPN Plus being an being a inconvenient expenditure, but at least there would be commentators that are worth their salt, unlike what we hear on some channels. If ESPN Plus raises rates but, but, but obtains both La Liga and Bundesliga, and maybe even Liga 1, I wouldn't mind paying a higher rate. Even the annual cost, the annual plan costs less than a lot of TV and stu- streaming providers charge on a monthly basis. All I am asking is the ability to follow teams that are in the Champions League on a more regular basis. So yes, La Liga to Univision and ESPN Plus. Martin Mulca- Mulcahy says, uh, "I believe MLS can actually use the screwy game calendar to their advantage. As you know, in Germany, there are many fan friendships between clubs. My team, Karlsruhe, in second division now, I uh, go to uh, go to and support her, uh, Hertha Berlin when they are in the region, especially against uh, Stuttgart." Uh, Could MLS try to establish some relationships between MLS and Bundesliga clubs? Something along the motto of your team has the summer off. Come follow an American club during your vacation. MLS says they want to be an international league, but I don't see them working for brand recognition in foreign markets. I do not think this would work with Premier League clubs or fans as as they are not used to such relationships. Plus, most most Germans appreciate American culture despite uh, setbacks in that area. Karthik, this is this is interesting because uh, you, re- I'm sure you remember this too, because you have an encyclopedic mem- memory. But this is probably going back about 10 years ago, where Major League Soccer and the Bundesliga made a big, massive announcement at uh, Sportel in Miami to announce a partnership that they were going to, they, they had announced a partnership where they were going to share best practices. So Major League Soccer would learn from the Bundesliga, the Bundesliga would learn from Major League Soccer. Uh, they would be sending executives uh, out to Germany and vice versa, from Germany to the United States to learn how each of the leagues were, were operating, uh, to share best practices and strategies of how to improve both both leagues. I, 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 ever since that announcement was made, I haven't heard anything since. I don't think that's in operation anymore. Uh, but there was an opportunity at one point for them to really sink their teeth into that, um, but it didn't work out. Did you take anything from that, Carter? What do you think about, about Martin's ideas about having some um, – leagues working more closely together, perhaps?
1: Yeah, I, I like the idea. And as you said, I, I remember when that uh, partnership was announced and what became of it, I'm not sure. Maybe there was some stuff on the best practices, league front office levels we weren't aware of,
0: but I'm not sure. Um, but well, that was Also, uh, I think Gazitas was kind of uh, uh, a. Right. And
1: Gazitas had these relationships um, abroad. And, and I think the uh, MLS at some point, again, I go back to that time period, 2013, 2014, as I mentioned on previous shows. They cut out all the grassroots things they were doing, they cut out a lot of the international partnerships, uh, and they just turned inward. And I think uh, that the end of that Bundesliga partnership probably coincides with that period.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is a shame too. But because but because I think Martin's idea is a good idea in terms of clubs working more closely together, um, and having sister clubs and and having trying to encourage. Well, I, I guess in a way though, too, Carter, because you look at NYCFC and Manchester City, which is really sister clubs, but they're owned by the same parent company. I I don't see on the fan level a lot of synergy. I don't see. I mean maybe this is happening and I don't know about it but maybe I don't see NYCFC supporters supporting Manchester City and I don't, I don't see Manchester City supporters supporting NYCFC do you see any uh any kind of uh help in that area that has been happening
1: Yeah there's some uh um random manchester city fans who are not in an mls market and who have never supported lower division soccer you know i uh, people get angry sometimes when i say this about premier league fans in this country but typical premier league fans who have no uh, ties to the local game don't bother to check if there's a local professional team in their market that uh, that they've decided to support NYCFC. N- NYCFC, um but it's 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 a limited number and i don't think it's had any great effect on um uh, support for mls or, or for that club
0: all right. Next up is Raymond Orozco. He says, a couple of shows ago, you mentioned a Fox executive saying they need an American TV broadcaster for the game to grow. I would tend to agree with this uh, statement uh, for the audience that he's looking for. When Fox used to show the CONCACAF Champions League, I was in a soccer bar and some of the people uh, there were white, uh, were complaining that uh, Max Bretos and Christopher Sullivan are favoring the Mexican teams because they're a Mexican. I then had to tell them that they were not Mexican, both are American, and one was a former 1990 World Cup player for the U.S. And at a different time at the same soccer bar, one of them was praising Janish Mahalik about the diversity in having a Mexican <laughs> call the game. In my opinion, the Fox exec- executive research shows uh, sh- shows that they want a white American call it, call these games. In my opinion, I miss both Bra- Max Bretos and Christopher Sullivan, so much to me. They were the best. I think the problem is is that the majority of the soccer fans in this country are not highly educated soccer fans, and they do not seek out um, uh, to be one. Even throw Alexi Lalas on his own show, uh, says we're the most educated soccer fan. I totally disagree uh, with you guys. You were right, Gaffer, for the executive. is short-sighted. Keep, uh, t- t- to keep enlightening the fan in this country, great show. Keep up the, all the hard work. So... Um, <sighs> Yeah,
1: I, I, yeah. I, it speaks for itself, and uh, I, I want to remind people this because I've heard this too, that, uh, oh, well, you know, we need American voices. Janus, who's making less and less television appearances. I mentioned the one Serie A match he did over the, the Christmas break uh, for uh, – over the uh, Christmas period for, for ESPN, uh, Napoli and Inter. I was so excited to hear his voice. He has over 40 caps for the U.S. men's national team. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, this idea that somehow he's not American enough—ridiculous. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. And Yanish does a lot of work for ESPN International, so he'll do a lot of the commentaries for um, ESPN uh, in the Caribbean, uh, as well as ESPN in Australia, uh, all out of, out of the studio there in Bristol, Connecticut. And I believe he does some work still for um, for some of the, some of the broadcasters in Canada too. Happily Eggs says, how many American youth players are being drawn to or selected to play for European football academies? Now, just the backstory on this is Happily Eggs is a listener from the United Kingdom and has recently began, begun listening to the show. Um, so he's definitely tapped in uh, in terms of um, the British side of things, but asking a lot of questions, some good questions about the U.S. side. Uh, He goes on to say, are there any? I know there are Spanish, Dutch, etc. Many African youth players being drawn to European academies. When I say Spanish and Dutch, I'm talking about uh, in countries other than their own. So happily eggs... You will probably be surprised. And this is probably something yeah. that uh, I don't believe that a lot of the uh, newspapers in the United Kingdom uh, or, or media companies realize how many Americans are playing in different academies throughout Europe, uh, mostly continental Europe, Germany especially. Uh, Karthik, you probably know the full, the full list of, of most of these oh, well, countries.
1: We have a guy from South Florida, Conrad DeLauw. Fuente, who's in Barcelona's Academy right now, um, who, who came through uh, the, the Kendall FC program, um, and uh, uh, he is uh, uh, already in, uh, is starting with Barcelona's U19 team. He's in the USU20 team. Uh, we've had a number of guys go through the Bayern. Uh, system. Uh, most uh, recently, obviously, Chris Richards, who started in, in, in an MLS academy, but went over there uh, recently. And then uh, you've got Taylor Booth, who's 17, who's at Bayern now. Uh, you've got a number of guys. Uh, they're not all coming to mind, but uh, it, it's not it's not a, a, a number where it's reaching critical mass. But there are about 15 to 20 guys um, that are playing in, uh, in academies that came up through uh, academies, mostly in Germany, the, the U.S.'s goalkeeper. Uh, obviously, the U-20 team, Brady Scott, or one of their goalkeepers he, he came through Cologne's academy. Uh, so what you're fighting is particularly uh, German clubs coming to the U.S. when guys are 15 or 16 and identifying guys. And I, I was struck, uh, Chris, you were – no, I don't think you were at that press conference um, when Brennreiter was managing uh, uh, Schalke when they asked him in Orlando about uh, a, a specific U.S. player who was under the age of 18 who they couldn't, get, they couldn't bring over yet at that time, uh, basically said, yeah, we're going to sign him when, he's, when he, the second he turns 18. And that player was Haji Wright, and they did. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of particularly German clubs doing uh, scouting at, at the youth level in the U.S., and uh, it's, it's just intensifying, which is why um, even after Jürgen Klinsmann, uh, departed as U.S. men's national team manager, you're seeing an you know, increasing German flavor to the U.S. men's national team, just because so many of those guys are, are playing their most formative years of football not in not domestically, but in Germany.
0: I think I think the number is actually much greater, though, Karthik, too, because I mean, just of one example, just locally here in, in South Florida. So, um, one of the kids uh, from Weston, who had I think he's either 10, 11, or 12. He, he's young, but uh, had a tryout with Benfica. Uh, and looks like Benfica is very interested in, in signing him. Um, you mean to be to, to be on the Benfica uh, academy there too, and that's something there that too. That, that from Miami to Lisbon as far as a direct flight. It's not that far, really, when you think about it. And um, there's a lot of clubs from Europe that are looking at the United States as an opportunity, kind of a growth market, where a lot of the U.S. clubs, a lot of the, the major league, league soccer clubs, are not doing a good job of scouting. And you have all these European clubs looking at the United States, looking at the uh, the playing level of, of a lot of these American kids uh, and the potential, too, of this country. It's such a huge country. Uh, and there's no way that Major League Soccer can have scouts throughout the entire area. So it's an opportunity for a lot of these clubs, the Bundesliga especially, So is to pick up these young players, uh, give them an opportunity to shine in Germany or, or in, in Portugal or wherever it may be, and turn them into star professionals. So, um, great question from happily eggs there too last but not least alan says i would like to talk about sound production at soccer games i have a problem with sound production at games in america the crowds and pitch side noises at times drowns out the commentators a good example of this was um, recently last week uh, between uh, the u.s women's national team game against mexico i like listening to ian dark but for this game i had to mute the sound i realized that there are There are variables, but I never encounter the same problem when I watch games from Europe. Commentators can be uh, at the noisiest Premier League games, but the sound production is good enough to savor the atmosphere and still enjoy the commentator's input. Maybe it's just me. I would be interested to hear if anyone else encounters the same problem. Thanks for keeping me up to date with all of the televised and streaming games. Kartik, (laughs) this man uh, is preaching to the choir here. Yeah. Right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, um... Alan, so many of uh, the ga- uh, the Gaffer, Chris, and and my uh, personal conversations revolve around this issue. Private conversations. Yeah, uh, it, it's just a pet peeve of both of ours. Uh, it's something that we always notice, we always praise or complain about, and uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And and um, I think that there is a different sense of how to do this in the United States than in in, in Europe as far as soaking up the atmosphere production-wise. And also you have a lot of producers in American networks that are used to uh, producing other sports, which is a part of the problem.
0: Yeah, just many, many years ago, this is going back about... Thirteen years ago, oh my gosh, I'm sure my age here. Uh, both Kartik and I had a chance to spend the day with Gold TV, and there we are on a Saturday morning in the Gold TV studios, uh, in the in the kind of control room uh, where the producer is at, and there's a couple of guys next to us, and they have like these uh, sound like these mixers and. And the Bundesliga game, this is when they had the Bundesliga rights, the Bundesliga game is being played. And there they are kind of uh, twisting the knobs, trying to get that right no- noise level where between the crowd and the commentator uh, for Gold TV. So we weren't seeing it happening. I'm sure the technology has improved a lot since then. But it- it's funny because, yeah, Alan, you're completely right. I mean, one example just this week, the Europa League final, is the noise levels for the studio crew, the pre-match analysis, all that were good. And then as soon as they went into the game with Tony Jones and David Pleat commenting in the game, the noise, the actual noise, I guess the the volume of the commentators went way down. I'm like, wait a second, what's going on here? Like, it sounds like uh, they need to boost that a little bit more. So it's at the same level as what we were hearing in the studio. Um, So... Yeah, behind the scenes, there's a lot of adjustments going on, and uh, oftentimes too, Alan, I, I find the same thing too, where I'm like, oh, come on, I can't even hear the commentator uh, speaking. Other times, um, it sounds like the, the the noise in the crowd is is really quiet. It sounds like it's like, oh man, this the stadium is really not coming alive. Uh, when in fa- actual fact, if you're at the stadium, you're probably thinking like, oh my gosh, it's so loud in here, the you know the fans singing, etc. So it, it's. Uh, It's adjusted, and uh, finding that right level where we're all happy uh, is definitely the goal. Some do it better than others. All right, so uh, if you do have any questions, comments, feedback for us, uh, we'd love to read them out on there. We really appreciate uh, your loyalty listening to the show. Uh, We're going to continue through the summer um, weekly, as we've done, and uh, we always appreciate uh, any kind words or any feedback you can give us. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Now, Kartik, uh, in closing, actually some big news here too, is the World Soccer Talk podcast is now available on the Pandora mobile app. So if you have Pandora and you have the mobile app, you can listen to the World Soccer Talk podcast through there. You can also listen every Thursday through SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, and, of course, WorldSoccerTalk.com. And, Karthik, uh, where can they find you on on social media if they want to find you on Twitter and uh, see what you're up to?
1: Uh, You can find me at KKFLA737.
0: All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik, heading into another big week of soccer from around the world. Um, of course, we've got the Champions League final on Saturday, and hopefully it'll be an exciting encounter. We're really looking forward to this one. Um, what should they do?
1: Enjoy your football.